It is good to be together this morning on this first Sunday and the first day of a new year. Good to be together to worship the Lord. Our lectionary text for today is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord to us. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same thing so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help the angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself was tested by what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask that by your Holy Spirit we would hear this word fresh in a new way for a new year to the end that we will leave here today more obedient and thankful than when we came. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Henry Nouwen was a Catholic priest. Uh, he taught at Notre Dame, Harvard, Yale. He ministered to people. He wrote profoundly about the spiritual life. In his later years, Henry Nouwen was asked by his 18-year-old nephew, how should I live my life? How should I live my life? This is what he wrote in a letter to his nephew. If you were to ask me point blank, what does it mean to live spiritually? I would have to reply, living with Jesus at the center. There are always questions in life, problems and discussions that demand one's attention. Despite this, when I look back over the last 30 years of my life, I can say that for me, the person of Jesus has come to be more and more important. There was a time when I got so immersed in problems of church and society that my whole life had become sort of a drawn out, wearisome discussion. Jesus was pushed into the background. Fortunately, it hasn't stayed that way. Jesus has stepped out front again. It's clear to me than ever that my personal relationship with Jesus is the heart of my existence, living with Jesus at the center. That's a perfect message for us on this first day of 2023. In the church calendar, this is called the first Sunday after Christmas. We've been reminded over the last month that Jesus is the center of Advent and Christmas. 
But today, January 1st, isn't just the first Sunday after Christmas, it's also New Year's Day, a good day to resolve that in the new year we'll live with Jesus at the center. Covenant is a church that tries to do that, a community encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. And our lectionary text this morning from the book of Hebrews is a scripture that encourages us to keep Jesus at the center by affirming three things about him, Jesus' birth, Jesus' cross, Jesus' presence with us in the new year. His cross, his birth, his presence. Let's reflect for a moment on each of those. Jesus' birth. The scripture we just read says, we have flesh and blood, therefore Jesus came to share the same things. We're human, so he became human. He shares our flesh and blood. It's what we call the incarnation of God in Christ that the very God of the universe identifies with us to the point of becoming flesh himself. God put on humanity. God appeared in a body. On the night Jesus was born, an angel brought good news of great joy. A savior is born, the Messiah. He's Christ the Lord. Jesus, the eternal word, second person of the Trinity, who in the beginning was with God and is God in order to know us firsthand and for us to know him firsthand, in order to be up close and personal, Jesus became flesh. It means God isn't absent from this world. God's not indifferent to broken humanity. God didn't stay isolated and aloof from his creation. God didn't stay distant in the heavens. He wasn't content to just send us a book. He wasn't content to just shout from heaven, I love you. He wasn't content to just write in the sky, I love you. Jesus shares our flesh and blood. Religion emphasizes working our way up to God. Christianity is God working his way down to us. We live on a visited planet is how Bible translator J.B. Phillips put it. We live on a visited planet. In that stable, in that trough where the cattle feed, the Son of God is packaged in flesh and bones. Christ, who from all eternity was with God and is God, is sleeping on hay in a cattle stall. It's the supreme paradox of the Christian faith that God identified with us to the point of becoming flesh himself. God who's high and mighty, God whose power and glory became a little bundle of flesh. John Calvin, the father of Presbyterian, said, if you want to discover the secret of the universe, if you want to discover the meaning of life, you are inevitably driven to the manger where you find a baby sleeping. We love singing that Christmas carol with its great refrain, Gloria in excelsis Deo, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. But G.K. Chesterton in one of his poems says it could just as well be glory to God in the lowest. For Jesus came down to share our flesh and blood. Glory to God in the lowest. Jesus' birth. But to keep him at the center of our lives, our scripture also points to Jesus' cross. It says he shared our flesh and blood in order to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. He came to be a self-giving sacrifice. 
to take away our sins, sharing his flesh and blood on the cross in order to reconcile us with God. On the cross, he repairs the broken relationship between God and us. There were hints of this even before Jesus was born, that there was gonna be a more sober purpose for his coming than to just walk this earth and live a good life. An angel appeared to Joseph and said, Mary will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus for he'll save his people from their sins. Call him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, for that's what he's come to do. And it happened again when Jesus began his public ministry. John the Baptist was out preaching one day and he saw Jesus walking toward him. And Jesus said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That must have been an electric moment. For over a thousand years, lambs were brought in from the field. You brought them to the temple and they were a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And now John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To us on this broken planet, spoiled by sin, to us who've made such a ruin of things, we exalt ourselves, we misused, created things, yet to us, a savior was born. This baby grew up, became a man. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preached good news to the poor and released to the captives. He taught by word and deed, blessed the children. He healed the sick, bound up the brokenhearted, ate without caste, forgave sinners, called all to repent and believe. And then he was condemned for blasphemy and sedition, roughed over and nailed to a cross, the Lamb of God. In his birth, he shares his flesh and blood with us, and by his cross, he shares himself with us. A young couple met me one afternoon at the church I was serving. We met to talk about their desire to present their baby daughter for baptism. We met in the church library. Leah was a Christian. Aaron, her husband, was not. Aaron had been raised in a very secular home, a really neat guy, very talented. He was the technology specialist for the school district. And he was supportive of Leah. He came to church occasionally on Sundays and came with her to talk with me that afternoon about baptism for their baby daughter. I shared how in this sacrament, God marks this child as belonging to him. God loves this child. Christ died for this child. The Holy Spirit is starting a work in this child. Leah, you will profess your faith in Jesus and as parents promise to raise this child in the Christian faith to the end that someday she'll complete her baptism by saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Baptism points to all of that as you as parents and we as the church share our lives together in this community of faith. Aaron listened and then spoke up and out of the blue he said, what I've never understood is the cross. What's that all about? The cross. I said, I think the best I can do, Aaron, is quote the Apostle Paul. He wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. It's in the Bible, 2 Corinthians. At least it helps me understand the cross and how it saves us. 
Here's what Paul wrote. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Aaron, let me explain that a little bit. God sent his son Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. That little word for is very important. Christ died for us. God sent him who had no sin to be sin for us. Christ took my sin, Christ took Leah's sin, Aaron, he took your sin. Jesus who had no sin became sin for us, for us. Here's the other part that Paul wrote, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Aaron, here's the great question of life. If God is holy and perfect and righteous, how can we as sinful, broken people come into God's presence? How do we become holy and perfect and righteous? Listen to Paul again. God sent Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is another little dynamic word, in. In Jesus, we become the righteousness of God. Aaron, I'll never on my own be perfect and righteous. I'll never be good enough. Leah won't, you won't. Here's the good news. Righteousness is in Jesus, in Jesus. As I sit here with all the ways I've messed up this very day, yet God sees me as righteous, not because I've become righteous, but I'm righteous because I'm in Jesus. Here's how the church reformer Martin Luther paraphrased the scripture. Jesus, you took upon yourself what did not belong to you. You took my sin. And Jesus, you gave me what doesn't belong to me. You gave me your righteousness. Isn't that incredible? Jesus took my sin. I get his righteousness. Aaron, that's what we call grace, God's extravagant love, sheer grace. It's a gift. You just accept it by faith. There's nothing you have to do to prove yourself. There's nothing you can do. You just receive it. We had a good conversation there in the library about baptism with Aaron asking his question about the cross. Later that week, Aaron said yes to Jesus. And he has always said the light went on for him as he sat there and had a sense of Jesus on the cross for him. That was the moment he said, I was one person when I came in the room and I was another person when I came out. It was all the work of the Holy Spirit. And it was a great day for the gathered church the Sunday Aaron professed his faith and was baptized, professed his faith in the Jesus who shared our flesh and blood by coming into this world at his birth and who shared his flesh and blood by his self-giving on the cross. In a few minutes, we'll commune at this table and we'll hear Christ say to us, this bread is my body given for you.
This cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you. From the depths of his being, Jesus gave himself for us. And our goodness is not in ourselves, but it's in him. There's a real intimacy. Christ shares with us by becoming flesh at his birth and we unite with him at his cross. Jesus at the very center of our lives, his birth, his cross. And thirdly, our scripture also says something about Jesus in the new year. I don't know about you, but I can't believe it's 2023. Where did 2022 go? John Prine says in one of his songs, the years just flow by like a broken down dam. The days go by, the years go by. And at least for me during the pandemic, right on up till now, time has had a warp quality to it. I can't explain that. We've been living through strange, chaotic times. So time itself has a warped feel to it for me. Scripture is very realistic about time. Generations come, generations go. Ecclesiastes says the sun rises, the sun sets. The real master for all of us is the pull of the calendar. I'm guessing that most of us have had a moment this week when we thought 2023, where have the years gone? Seems like just yesterday we were taking our kids to kindergarten and now this year they'll graduate from high school or college. Seems like just yesterday I started the new job. Now it's five years already or 20 or 30. Seems like just yesterday we were at the altar getting married and now I have to do it, the math every year to figure out how many. Seems like just yesterday mom died. It's been 10 years, I miss her. The years flow by like a broken down dam. Life has beginnings and ends, nothing stays the same, and it can leave us feeling uh, very mortal, even a little sober and unsure as we enter 2023. Life is so fragile, it really is. Time does its work on us, the struggles of life do their work on us, then you add in all the troubles and tensions of our culture and our world, and it can seem rather pessimistic. But today's scripture will have nothing of it. Jesus who was born to us, Jesus who on the cross died for us, was also raised from the dead for us, the resurrection means he's still with us. He's the pioneer of our salvation, our scripture says. He's the merciful and faithful high priest who brings our deepest needs and longings to God the Father. For his heavenly Father, it says, is the same heavenly Father we have. We share the same heavenly Father. So Jesus says, you are my brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? You are my brothers and sisters. And because he's truly one of us, because he shares our flesh and blood, the joys of life he experienced, he wants us to experience. He wants us to live joyfully and freely. And because he became flesh and blood, he had the same aches and pains and longings that we have, and so he's able to help us when we're tested and facing those same things. 
As our opening hymn said, he feels for all our sadness and shares in all our gladness. He'll walk with us every step of the way in this new year. Live in freedom, he says. Live in freedom, not fear. None of us knows what's ahead in 2023, but no matter what, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. 2023 could be the best of times or the worst of times. Your standard of living could go up or go down. Either way, he's Emmanuel. Your physical health could be all well or not so well. Either way, he's Emmanuel. For some of us, the most joyful moment of our entire lives hasn't happened yet, but it will in 2023. For some of us, the most daunting challenge of our lives hasn't happened yet, but it will in 2023. It's a little scary not knowing what's out there, but it's matched by this assurance, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, by the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent to us, he's present, he's within us, he's around us, before us, behind us. He's the pioneer of our salvation. We're his brothers and sisters. And our scripture says, the God for whom and through whom everything was made brought Jesus into glory and will bring us with him. Frederick Buechner says so well how to live in this new year with Jesus at the center. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been the same without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. I love you. Well, three affirmations about Jesus from today's scripture. His birth, his cross, his presence in this new year, Jesus at the center. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you don't have other interests. Each of us would say of ourselves, I have a lot of other passions, I have a lot of other commitments, I love my family, I have a job, I love where I live, I love music, I love sports, I like to travel, I'm a complex person, I have multifaceted commitments, but all of that takes place under this one great basic, Jesus Christ at the center of my life. My longest pastorate was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where this morning in light of the Fiesta Bowl, there's a lot of unhappy people. We enjoyed living in a university town. We enjoyed the sports of a university town. We were there during the Fab Five in basketball, the five freshmen who were not only gifted athletes, but changed the look of basketball with their baggy shorts and their black shoes and socks. We lived there when Jim Harbaugh wasn't the coach, but the quarterback. We saw Tom Brady. We watched Jim Abbott, the one-armed pitcher who later played in the major leagues. And we became fans of the Detroit Tigers. We could be at Tiger Stadium in about 45 minutes from Ann Arbor. 
What we really liked was listening to Tiger baseball on the radio, and we came to love the radio voice of the Tigers, Ernie Harwell. He was born in Georgia and raised in Georgia. He had a mellow, distinctive voice. He's in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. Started with the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants, then the voice of the Detroit Tigers for 42 years. Ernie Harwell was in his 70s when we were listening to him. He was famous for some phrases he used when an opposing batter just stood there and took a called third strike. Ernie would say, he stood there like the house by the side of the road. At home games, when a foul ball went to the stands, he'd say, caught by a fan from Kalamazoo, caught by a fan from Dexter, caught by a fan from Mackinac Island. His home run call was long gone, long gone. Ernie Harwell was a committed Christian, and one year he made Advent and Christmas very memorable. Every year, the Presbytery, the regional cluster of Presbyterian churches, held an Advent men's breakfast. It was held on a Saturday morning, two or three hundred was good attendance. But this year, the Advent breakfast, very well attended. 600 men at a church in North Suburban Detroit with guest speaker Ernie Harwell. After breakfast, we packed the sanctuary. Can't wait to hear Ernie with his great sense of humor. Oh, we're going to hear some great baseball stories. Brooklyn Dodgers, New York Giants, 42 years with the Tigers. Oh, can't wait to hear the stories. Ernie Harwell was introduced. Oh, we're ready for great baseball stories. He got to the pulpit. You could hear a pin drop, and he said, this morning I'm going to talk about two things, Jesus Christ and the Detroit Tigers, and I'm going to do it in that order. I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ and baseball, and in that order. That's how you and I are privileged to live. We have a lot of interests, a lot of commitments. We enjoy so many blessings, and we have struggles. But they all happen under that one great commitment, Jesus Christ at the center. It's all about him, and then everything else. That's the order. That's the order. Amen? Amen. Lord, it's so good to gather on this first day of a new year. We do feel the passing of time, but our scriptural today will not let us be less than hopeful about the future because of Jesus' birth, his cross, his very presence with us. We thank you. We praise you. Amen.